So our speaker tonight is Mez McConnell. He is uh, from Edinburgh, Scotland. He is the founder of Twenty Schemes, which is a, uh, a gospel-centered uh, church planting organization that is uh, getting into the uh, roughest neighborhoods in Scotland. So if you're not familiar with Twenty Schemes, I encourage you to, to look them up this evening when you uh, get home or tomorrow. And uh, for sake of time, and just so the brother can come and minister the word to us, I'm going to leave you with that and ask that uh, Mez come on in. Thanks, man. That's the shortest introduction I've ever had. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Right. So we're going to look at the Bible because that's what you brought me here for. And uh, we're going to look in Isaiah chapter 49. While you're just turning there, maybe I should say a few words uh, about 20 Schemes. 20 Schemes is actually the church planting ministry of our church. I am one of the two pastors in charge of that. If you wonder what a scheme is, a scheme is the sort of equivalent of a inner city project mixed in with a trailer park, mixed in with a North American Indian reservation, and you get a scheme. So my scheme, just so you understand, is about 200 and something years old, and people have, and their families have lived there for two centuries. Um, and so they're very, very close communities. About 40% of Scotland's population lives in schemes. Uh, that means about 40% of Scotland's population lives below the poverty line. Scotland has won all sorts of awards in Europe. We are uh, the uh, least healthiest, highest rate of heart attacks, highest rate of uh, child prostitution, highest rate of child abuse. And uh, the average lifespan of a man in my community is 48 years old. So I don't know what your, uh, most people's view of Scotland is St. Andrew's Golf, a few castles and a bit of William Wallace, a bit of Braveheart with Mel Gibson. Unfortunately, that is not uh, the reality. And most, I think there's probably more people in this room than there are Christians in schemes in Scotland. And so our aim, our whole goal, our absolute lives are bent on uh, training and sending out young men to pastor and plant churches across our forgotten schemes. So if you want to look us up online and, and pray for us, I know some people already prayed for us, we'd appreciate uh, your prayers. But we're here to uh, read the Bible, so why don't we do that? Let me pray just before we read, though, because... Uh, this is God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for a chance to meet together uh, this evening. And Lord, we don't take it for granted by any means that we can do this, particularly when we think of so many brothers and sisters around the world unable to meet freely. And so we thank you again for the word, that light you have given to us to light the way. You're perfect word, Lord. Help us this evening, however we've come into this building, whether we're having a great time, whether we're in an absolute mess, whether we're a Christian, whether we're not sure what we are, Father. Open up our eyes, give us understanding, and transform us from the inside out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah 49, I want to start at verse um, 14. Let's read through together. But, uh, but Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord 
has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste and desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, this place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. But who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone, and from where have these come? Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations, raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their bosom. And your daughter shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. What, uh, with their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For this says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant shall be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. This is God's word to us. Amen. Amen. So I want you to imagine, or use your imagination just for a minute. I want you to imagine that um, Donald Trump goes mental and um, does some silly things. I know that's hard to imagine, but imagine he does. And he kicks off with North Korea and China, and they declare war on America. Now imagine... The major cities in your country get nuked off the map. What if you woke up tomorrow morning and your community is swarming with foreign troops? They kick open your door. They force march you and your family to the nearest train station. There they take you to the nearest port where they put you on big uh, ships, separate you, men in one ship, women in one ship, children in another ship, and they sail off, and you never see each other again. I mean, that seems quite unlikely, right? Uh, Sitting here, living here in uh, Roanoke. It seems like a Hollywood movie. I think we've all seen that Hollywood movie, haven't we? Uh, The problem with the West, the problem with the rich West, uh, and I'm talking about rich Europeans and uh, rich Americans is that we uh, sit smugly in our lives and we never think this kind of trauma is ever going to happen to us. 
we think, don't we, that life is always going to be like this. The sun will always shine. Lord, the, 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 the grass will always be green. There'll always be malls. There'll always be somewhere to go, you know, and, uh, and buy monkey poo coffee or whatever hipsters drink. We think this will never happen. It'll never happen to us. Because we've surrounded ourselves with all this material stuff, all, this, all these things we have in our lives, our homes. We build our churches. We, we build these grand things. And we think that they give, or at least they give the illusion that life is fine and everything is going to continue like this. But here's the problem that this is the daily experience of people throughout our world, even today. Even today. I have friends I visited in China about six months ago, and uh, their church has been disbanded, and they've rounded up the leaders, not only the leaders, but their families, and I mean all their family members, not just their immediate families, their cousins, their nephews, their second cousins, and they've gone overnight, disappeared by the government. And it's not just in our generation, it's happening, it's happened throughout history. It happened to Israel as we read these uh, words in Isaiah. In, in Israel's time, in about 600 uh, B, uh, BC, Babylon was the superpower, and it swept everything it swarmed country after country, nation after nation. It murdered, looted, and burned everything in its path. And twice in Isaiah, Jerusalem sorry, was laid siege. The first time was pretty terrible, and there were lots of casualties. But the second time was really horrific. For 18 months, the poor citizens of that city, they were starved to death, basically, surrounded on all sides by their enemies. Many of them were forced into cannibalism just to survive. Some, the records indicate, even ate their own children. Those that were left were forced, marched out of the city and taken into refugee camps and used as forced labor. And so as you come into Isaiah 49 with me this evening, that's the context you come in with. We often read the Bible flat. We read these words and we don't really understand and get the emotion behind what is going on. But that is what is happening. Israel, as we read these words, words Israel is a smoking ruin. The wall is, and it's all the fortifications have been destroyed. The temples in pieces. People are in absolute dire straits. And here's the big issue. They just couldn't work out what had gone wrong. They couldn't, they couldn't comprehend how this had happened to them. I mean, they'd lived in peace. They'd lived in prosperity for so long. They'd been blessed by God for generations. And, 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 and they were they were God's chosen people. I mean, listen to Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. The Lord your God has chosen you, he says to Israel, to be a treasured, sorry, to be a people for his treasured possession 
out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. I mean, the Jewish people believed no one can touch us. We are special. We are God's chosen ones. And yet here they are, suddenly they find themselves starving, diseased, and frog-marched, and forced to serve the enemies of God. And so look at the cry of verse 14. No wonder they say, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Now, forsaken, that word means to be deliberately abandoned. And some of us know what that feels like all too well. I was on the streets from the age of two years old, abandoned by my parents. Some of us know what abandonment is like. Maybe one of our parents left us when we were young. Or maybe uh, a loved one deserted us for somebody else. I mean, we never quite get over the pain and the trauma of abandonment, do we? For those of us who've suffered that. Now, the word forgotten means something entirely different. The word forgotten means to be wiped from the memory banks. So we can abandon a person. So my mother abandoned me, but I'm sure she still remembers me. She's still alive. But Israel's cry here is not only has God abandoned them to their fate, but he's wiped them from his memory banks as well. Plainly and simply, the only way they can logically work out why they're in this situation is God has forgotten us. He must have, because remember, he's promises to us. And we can sympathize with that cry. I mean, if God was there, if Israel was God's treasured possession, why were their homes burnt to the ground? Why were their children dead in the streets? Why were their religious leaders in jail or in captivity? Why was the temple ruined? Surely, God has forsaken and forgotten us. Job, when uh, he was going through something similar in his life, remember Job? He lost his family, he lost his business, his home, his friends. He writes this in Job 10. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? In other words, Lord, why are you doing this to me? I mean, who among us Some of you are younger than others and you've not felt the sting of life right now, but let me give you a very Scottish word of encouragement. You'll feel pain one day and it'll hurt a lot. (laughs) And you'll face this moment. We smile, but who knows? Who of us who is old enough realizes the truth of these words? Who Who of us who've walked with Jesus for any length of time, has not felt that cry at one time or another. Everything seems to be going plain sailing. We're, we're, we're going to church, you know, we're giving a few dollars into the kitty. We, we're, we're saying all the right things. We're singing the right songs. We're praying. Everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, bang, we run into trouble. 
Bad news strikes us. A loved one dies unexpectedly. A child gets cancer. Your business fails. Your wife leaves you. Or soul-crippling depression just hits you out of nowhere. One of your children rejects the faith. Trouble at work. You feel tired. You feel like giving up. The joy goes out of your prayer life. The joy goes out of your spirit. Bible reading is nothing more than a a chore, even if you do it. And we don't feel it anymore. We don't feel that the Lord is close to us. The Lord feels like he's distant, like he's far off. Like sometimes he's not even there, like he doesn't care, like he's forsaken and forgotten us. That is a common feeling in the life of a Christian. But let me tell let me put it another way. It's a common feeling in the life of an honest Christian. And it's not an unbiblical. What I'm saying here is not shocking to the Lord. The psalmist cries out in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We all know who said those words. Psalm 31 begins, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 42 verse 9 says, I say to God, the one I have called my rock, why have you forgotten me? Psalm 44, 24 asks, Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Psalm 77 verse 9 asks, Has God forgotten to be merciful? And you know, this isn't people whining and complaining. This is in the Psalms. This, as we say in Scotland, is the words from God's own hymn book. This is what proper worship sounds like. That's biblical to sing these things, to cry out to God this way. All this sort of happy, clappy, I'm going to just dance on the tabletops for you, Jesus. Drives me nuts. Lament in worship is a biblical thing. You think people wouldn't be leaving the church? I often think people leave the church more because of its superficiality. Everybody wanders around, they look clean and tidy, and they smile their best smile, and they pretend that life is wonderful. And the poor people who are crying and dying inside, thinking, it must be me. When actually it's all of us at one time or another. And so God responds to them in verse 15. He says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? I mean, we know this. Don't we, that mothers will do almost anything to protect their children? Or good mothers, at least, right? Not every mother is a good mother. And sometimes a, a mother's love can fail. And again, some of us know this. In uh, Scotland, just before I came out this week, we had a story on one of our schemes of a mother who set her two children on fire 
just for annoying her because she was watching her favorite TV show. But not all mothers are like that, and that's not the Lord's point here. I read another story of a mother in northern Quebec. She was on holiday with her two sons. They were hiking somewhere, and suddenly a, a, a bear appears. I mean, like a bear appears out of nowhere. But anyway, a bear appeared, and so she immediately jumped on its back, which I think is quite stupid, but <laughs> long enough, long enough, fortuitously, for a passing hiker to arrive and fire shots at it. I mean, there's nothing, is there? There's not a creature more dangerous in the world than a mother on the rampage protecting her children. And and if a mother will do that for her children, then imagine what God will do for his. This is is God's point here in verse 15. Let me put it another way. How, How would you feel if you invited a complete stranger into your house, and let's just say it's me because none of you know me, and you invite me into your house, and you, you, know, you cook me up some chicken and biscuits, because I just learned what that was about five minutes ago, and, um, and you put it down before me, and you, you've worked hard it, and I just look at it and go, what's that? I'm not eating that. How would you feel about that? How would you feel if I said, get me something else, will you? Mom, I'm hungry. Get me something else. And then what if the next thing you bought me said, listen, that's not good enough. You'll have to bring me something else. What if after my meal, I just threw up all over the kitchen floor? I just got up off the table and said, you know, clean that up, will you? And walked and sat in the living room. How would you feel about me then? Then would you? What about if I woke you up at two in the morning and said, listen, I'm sorry about this, but I think I've wet the bed. Uh, you wouldn't mind cleaning that up, would you? I mean, how long would I be welcome in your house? How long would you give me? An hour? A day? Yet this is how babies act, isn't it? They're young, they're frail. They're completely dependent on us. They cry, they wail. They poo, they wee, and they puke up all over us. They never say thanks. And they always have to wake up 15 times in the middle of the night until you're driven almost insane. And yet how much do we love them? Don't we? We love them. And often we can act like babies. We can moan and cry and whinge at the Lord. Even answer this prayer, Lord. Why can't I have that, Lord? I've made a right mess here, Lord. Even though I knew what I was doing was contrary to your word, I've still done it. I've made a mess. Now, will you clean it up, please? If not, why not? The Lord gives us something good. But then what happens? If we thank him, and that's very rare today, we suddenly forget what he's given us and we want something more. 
We want something else. We're like hungry babies. We're, we're never satisfied. We take his grace and his mercy and his favor for granted. And yet, Isaiah says here, the Lord says here, speaking through Isaiah in verse 15, he still loves us. He'd do anything for us. He has done anything for us. In fact, look at verse 16. I mean, this is the gospel right all over this verse. What does he say? See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You know, in my culture, I can't speak for yours, but I'll speak for my culture. When we want to show de devotion to a football team, and by football, I mean the actual sport of football. <laughs> you guys call soccer, and you say it's a girls' game, but... When we want to, I'll, I'll, I'll contextualize. When we want to show devotion to a soccer team, we get a tattoo. Or if we want to, uh, you know, if you, if you go in the scheme, you get, you know, you get tattoos of people's girlfriends. Some poor sap has got like 15, seven names of girls crossed out. You know, Sue, Ali, Debbie, Jane. Sometimes my girls come home from school and they've, they've got ink on their hands with names or words that they're trying to remind themselves of something to do, you know. If we want to remember loved ones or, or a holiday, you know, we save them, we have them on our screensavers, don't we? Or photos around the house. All of these things we do to remind us of the ones we love. And when we, we look at these things, we, we think of a happy time, a happy memory. Well, you know, in Bible times, servants often inscribe the names of their masters onto their hands. But the point is this. A master would never inscribe the name of his servant onto his. It wasn't done. It was unthinkable. Yet here we have the creator of the universe telling his people that he has engraved their names on the palms of his hands. Why? So that they would know he would never forget his own. And he would be reminded of his love for them eternally. You see, in Jesus, God's hand was simply not engraved. They were pierced, weren't they? They were pierced, and each drop of blood that was spilt contains the names of each one of his people. That's why we sing, I hope you sing in this church, my name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. We can sing that and we can mean it. Jesus, the sinless one, hanging on the cross with hands stretched wide, dying for those whose names are engraved on his blood-stretched hands. You see, here's the good news for you. Jesus Christ could not forget us even if he tried. And we've got to remember this truth. And we've got to help one another to remember this truth. Particularly when we're struggling. Particularly when life feels like it's out of control and chaotic and messy and slipping from our grasp. You know, when we feel abandoned, Christian, we must look to Jesus. Why? Because he is the proof that we have not been. When we feel in the pit of despair, 
Christian, we must look to Jesus. He is the proof that we can have hope. When we feel like God is not answering our prayers, we look to Jesus and see at Calvary, he's actually answered them all. When we feel forgotten, when we feel forsaken, the beauty of the church is that we remind one another that God could never forget those he has bought at such great cost to himself. And remember who these words are being said to. They weren't being said in a nice little hall in Roanoke with some nice, you know, respectable people. He was standing in the middle of ruins. It all looked lost. It all looked hopeless. They didn't just stand there going, yeah, this sounds amazing, hallelujah. It's scarcely believable, these words he was saying. They were a nation on the verge of extinction, but look what God promises them. Look at verse 19. Though you were ruined and made desolate and your land laid waste, now you'll be too small for your people, and those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your hearts, who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? Here's the Lord's point. Though the land was decimated, though its streets were empty except for a few pathetic beggars and stray dogs, one day it will be full to bursting with life again. He says, listen, children will play in the streets again. The temples will be full of worshippers again. In fact, people would ask themselves, where did all these people come from? It was only a few years ago that we were on our knees on the verge of extinction. And here's his points. His point to them, his point to us. Wherever we are in life, however low you may feel in your life, God loves his people. And your life may look hopeless right now. Your family member may look in a hopeless position. You may be surrounded at every size by the enemies of God. But we've got to keep reminding one another that God is always true to himself and true to his word. His ways aren't our ways. His plans aren't our plans. Think of it this way. You think of every single thing the nation of Israel and the people of Israel have been through in their history. How many times they were persecuted, murdered, destroyed, carried off into captivity, the temple ruined, the walls destroyed. How many times? How are they still here? How is the church still here? I mean, the Moabites are in the Bible. Anybody fly on a package holiday to Moab recently? Or the Akkadians? The Canaanites? The Sumerians? They're all gone. Wiped from history. Yet look at the church, the true Israel, and see we fill the globe. Isn't that proof of the long-term 
fulfillment of God's promise here. You know, in many ways, Christians in the UK and in Scotland feel a bit like Israel in this text. Um, We're in a mess, our country. Less than 2% of the population are Christians. My country, the poorest people and places in my country are a spiritual wasteland. You would would more easily find a Christian walking the streets of Saudi Arabia than you would the schemes of Scotland. We are on our knees. And many people I know wonder if Christianity will be a thing of the past in our country. You guys... I used to say you're 50 years behind us, but I think you're catching up quickly. You think, I mean, you're fine. You've got the, the sort of, the comfort, and I think it's a false one of numbers right now. But I think the time comes when the week gets separated from the chap, we'll see. We'll see what the real deal is, but we are in a desperate, desperate place. And it's easy for Christians from Scotland, it's easy for Christians from America, it's easy for us if we are the only Christian in our family or if we're struggling uh, in a situation, it's easy for us to become despondent. But let me tell you about one of your dudes, Adoniram Judson, right? You all know who that dude is. We'll call him Big A because Adoniram's too long to say. Big A is also the name of my friend, Big A, Anthony Matheny. But anyway, Big A... He was a missionary who, at the age of 24, goes to Burma, uh, Myanmar, with his young bride. And, uh, you know, the the dude stays there 40 years. He has three children, and every one of them dies. In fact, his first child dies on board the ship on the way there. His second one dies at 18 months old. And his third one dies at two years old, just six months after his wife. So let's just think this through. Goes to serve the Lord. Goes to be faithful. Three dead children and two dead wives. I mean, can you even imagine that? Can you imagine the brutality of how that must have been for him? Can you imagine the dark night of the soul that that guy went through. We read these guys in history books and we sort of, we clean it up and we make them sound like superheroes who never, who never doubted. And yet that guy must have been an absolute train wreck. And yet we read he stayed faithful to the Lord. And to top it all off, he didn't even see a single convert for the first six years. He just kept going. And so just when you think the story can't get any worse, his wives are dead, his children are dead, struggling to see any fruit. One night, there's a knock at the door, and he's dragged off to jail, charged with being a spy. And of course, he wasn't a spy, but they took him anyway. And then we read he was chained day and night to other men. He lost his hair. He lost his teeth. He lost his poor second wife, but during his captivity, that poor second wife of his, she would walk miles to the jail every day to plead his case. Then one day she got there and he'd been moved 
miles further inland, forced to labor in paddy fields in crippling heat. Men died all around him. Everybody was dropping from malaria. His daughter, his daughter had been born now, but she too was deathly ill, as was his wife. In fact, his wife was so sick, she couldn't nurse their child, and she was forced to walk from village to village to ask women to breastfeed her. And then suddenly, after 15 months, without any warning, he gets released. The guy weighs next to nothing. He's a walking corpse. Less than a year after his release, that faithful wife of his dies. Six months later, his daughter followed. But the guy stayed. He stayed. Despite everything, this dude carried on. Dead children, dead wives, no fruit. Do you think for a minute that that guy never cried out, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me? That guy would have been in anguish that we thankfully know nothing about. And then five years later, five years after this, something begins to happen in Burma. Listen to his diary. This is a diary entrance. The spirit of inquiry is spreading everywhere through the whole length and breadth of the land. We've distributed nearly 10,000 tracts, giving to none but those who ask. I presume there have been 6,000 applications at the house. Some come two or three months' journey from the borders of Siam and China. They say, sir, we hear that there is an eternal hell. We are afraid of it. Do give us a writing that will tell us how to escape it. Others from the frontiers of Cathay, a hundred miles north of Ava. Sir, we have seen a writing that tells us about an eternal God. Are you the man that gives away such writings? If so, pray give us one, for we want to know the truth before we die. Others from the interior of the country, where the name of Jesus Christ is a little known. Are you Jesus Christ, man? Give us a writing that tells us about Jesus Christ. Today, there are two million Christians in Myanmar, and 40% of the Karen people, that's the village Big A and his wife live with, 40% of them are followers of Jesus. 40%. And the fruit of this man's labors continues 200 years after his death. Now, that's a testimony, isn't it? Yet, I don't really care about the testimony. I care about the man in that moment, in his jail cell. Children dead. Wives dead. Nothing to show for his labors. Second-guessing himself. Wondering if he'd made a mistake. An error deeply traumatized. And yet I bet you, if Adoniram Judson could walk the streets of Myanmar today and see millions of Christians walking around, if he could see thousands of churches, if he could hear the voices singing praise to the Lord, I bet you he would say this. Where did all those people come from? 
Where do they come from? That, my friends, is Isaiah 49 in action. One man's faithfulness through terrible trauma sparks the birth, spiritual rebirth of a nation. I mean, has God forgotten us? Has he forgotten Scotland? Has he forgotten America? Has he forsaken us? I mean, I'm driven past loads of fruitcake churches on the way to this one. Fruitcake equal not very good. You Americans like a cult leader, don't you? Churches compromised and pulpits filled by men and women denying the truth of the Bible, denying the resurrection of Jesus, denying the need for people everywhere to repent. It's easy to wonder these things, but my uh, answer to you and God's answer to you tonight is this. No, he has not forgotten us. God is at work where his faithful people rely on him, trust in his word, and faithfully proclaim the gospel. God is at work. God never forgets his people. God loves us as his blood-bought children. Our names are engraved on his blood-stained hands. One day we will look back in glory and you'll look around and think, You'll see your neighbors, your friends, you'll see people you witness to who probably never said a word to you or were against you. And you'll see them and you'll think, where do these people come from? Maybe you won't see revival in your lifetime. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Here's what I know. Six years ago in Scotland, 20 schemes did not exist. Six years later, we have eight churches in four cities, and every single week I hear of at least one person being saved. Now, I know one person being saved a week in America is bad business, isn't it? But trust me, that is a miracle from Jesus, and we will continue to carry on. Listen, Israel was in the dirt, heads in her hands when these words were written. I like the final few verses. I'm not going to comment on them. I'm going to end with them. I like this because it suits my personality. God says, not only will I return you to your former glory, but your enemies will be made to suffer. I love this verse when people say I'm too harsh. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground and they will lick the dust at your feet. Amen. (laughs) Here's the point. One day there'll be a reckoning. So our enemies, those who taunt us, mock us, those who think they can get away with whatever they want to get away with in this life, off you go. Enjoy it. Because it's not going to last long. One day there will be a reckoning. One day you will understand. What does God say here? You will will know one day that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. So my my challenge to you is this. Hope in God and trust in Jesus. Even if it takes us to dark places. It may cost you personally. It may cost you professionally. It may make you look like an idiot in front of your friends. It may make you look not the cool kid in school. But trust me. Hope in God and trust in Jesus will never disappoint us in the end. 
look, when glory comes and all this, all this nonsense around us fades away, there's not a Christian, there's not one true born-again Christian that will not be thinking at the end of days, well, that wasn't worth it. And you know something? When that final terrible day of judgment comes, the world will know who our Lord is. What does he say at the end of that chapter? Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So, people of God, stick in, persevere, encourage one another in the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.